This morning, uh, is we're on the week of common sins of the heart, and it happens to be on pride this morning. <clears throat> and I, I asked Dusty, why did you give me, why did you assign pride for me? And he just smirked and kept walking. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, but this is um, just a, a warm-up for us this morning. Um, I really don't have to say much. I am going to say much. <laughs> But uh, for for the sake of our own edification, but um, this is something I think we're all uh, familiar with, and by God's grace, we'll continue to grow out of the closer and closer we get to to glory. Okay, so with that, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump right in. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness, with confidence, knowing that you hear us. Thank you, Lord, for all the men that are here this morning. I pray that we would drink from your grace this morning that comes from you, Jesus, uh, that comes directly from your word, that we would be uh, convicted where we need to be convicted and strengthened where we need to, to be strengthened, Lord. Uh, thank you for this time, the gift of this time that it is. May we spend it well, Lord. May we spend the rest of this day uh, glorifying you, in our um, pursuit of humility, as we'll talk about together uh, this morning. It's in your name we pray these things, and to the glory of your name that we commit this time. Amen. Okay, guys, so uh, there is a story told of the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. Uh, perhaps you've heard of him, Muhammad Ali, and he was flying to one of his engagements. Now, Ali's name is not synonymous uh, with humility, um, if, you've, if you've known anything about Ali. So whether this story is fact or fiction, the notoriously yet affectionately branded Louisville Lip at least made possible this little anecdote, okay? So during the flight, the aircraft ran into foul weather and mild to moderate turbulence began to toss the plane about. The passengers were instructed to fasten their seatbelts immediately. Everyone complied on the airplane except Ali, right? And noticing this, the flight attendant approached him and requested that he observe the captain's order, only to hear Ali audaciously respond, Superman don't need no seatbelt. The flight attendant didn't miss a beat and replied, Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> now, <laughs> I like that comeback there. Uh, my pride almost really enjoys that, that comeback. But uh, I think we all can relate to Ali even in that instance. Even if we wouldn't verbalize something like that, I think we, we understand what's going on here. And if we go to the scriptures and we just survey just about a minute and a half worth, it goes something like this. In his pride, Moses lost his temper and was kept from the promised land. Pride kept Joshua from seeking God's will at Ai, and he lost the battle. The pride of Naaman's refusal to get into the water to be healed. King Nebuchadnezzar's pride turned him into an animal. The pride of the Pharisee who thinks he's better than that tax collector over there. The disciples arguing over who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Pride, Peter's pride leading to his denial of Christ. 
and of course the pride of the guards taking the king of the universe, Jesus Christ, and treating him as if he were no better than dirt. That's just a quick survey. So pride has quite a history, doesn't it? And in fact, it precedes our first parents, Adam and Eve, spawning in heaven. It appears to be the very first sin which came forth from Satan, and we are informed of his motivations in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Study those texts sometime on your own. You'll see how it speaks of, it's speaking of the king of Babylon, and it's speaking of the king of Tyre in the other text, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. But all the language, especially as it ties in to the book of Revelation, is all speaking and directing to where the source came from, where it came from. So in those texts, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we see that Satan was an amazing being, possessing beauty and power beyond all our comprehension. But yet, yet, he arrogantly desired recognition and a status equal to God himself, and God swiftly and severely judged him and the rest who would follow in his way. And the thing is, is pride is not only the first sin, it is the root of all sin. The root of all sin. Gentlemen, just think of it this morning. There's not one sin you can name. And you cannot say that pride is not connected to that sin. Not one. Whether it's covetousness or discontentment or anger, whatever, or self-pity, whatever it is, pride indeed is connected. Listen to Proverbs 6.16. There are six things which the Lord hates, Yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. And he begins with the first one, haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. In other words, it is that internal loftiness of spirit in which you are constantly looking down on others. That's the spirit he's talking about. The haughty eyes. Now, sometimes it comes out in our eyes, yeah, in our body language, in our language. Yes, it does, it can. But this is speaking of the spirit. Haughty eyes. And then if you, if you read through the list, you'll see the list there, the seven things that the Lord hates. And you get to the end and it talks about one who causes division, one who causes dissension. <laughs> There's the bookend of pride right there. Two bookends. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not go unpunished. You hear that? Abomination? It, it, it is disgusting to him. He cannot look upon it. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And then immediately he says, pride and arrogance and the evil way I hate pretty strong language. Now, men, there are trivial things which we hate. Traffic, taxes, some vegetables, bad Wi-Fi, root canals. And there are the deeper, more meaningful things that we hate. Abortion, racism, child abuse, sexual abuse, injustice of all kinds. But dear men, we hate nothing 
like God hates pride. Because as Charles Bridges puts it, I love his definition, quote, Pride lifts up the heart against God. It contends for supremacy with Him. Men, we are creatures made in the image of God, so utterly dependent upon Him, and so fearfully guilty, yet proud. And that proud heart attempts to rob God of the glory that only He is worthy to receive. So, what are we confessing this morning? This is basically what we're confessing, okay? In different shapes, sizes, and colors, we are all (coughs) proud. We all walk around with this disease called pride, which, which is really interesting. It's like the only disease in all of the universe that we can spot in others, but cannot feel and sense in ourselves. It's quite amazing. It's quite deceptive. And worse um, is that since, since we don't perceive it in, in ourselves and we only perceive it in others, what we have to do this morning and this is really good for us, okay, is, is, is not to see if it exists in our life, but it's, it's, it's spotting when, where, and how it exists. So we want to do some of that heart surgery this morning, and, and really not so much now, but especially when we have our group time together. So, real briefly, how does pride show its ugly head in our lives. How does pride show its head in our lives? Number one, fault finding. Fault finding. While pride causes us to filter out the evil we see in ourselves, it also causes us to filter out God's goodness in others. We sift them, don't we? Letting only their faults fall into our perception of them. Uh, when, when I'm sitting in a sermon uh, or studying a passage, it, men, it's pride that prompts the terrible temptation in my heart to skip the, spirit, the Spirit's surgery on my own heart and only think of people who, you know, really need to hear this. That's pride. He or she... My wife, my child needs to really hear this. Instead of letting the Spirit do its surgery, letting the Word do its work in my life. So, fault finding. Number two, a harsh spirit. You know, speaking of others' sins with contempt, irritation, frustration, judgment. Pride is crouching inside our belittling of the, even the struggles of others. You ever do that? Someone's struggling with something and you're like, man, I got way bigger problems than you. And you belittle their struggle. This harsh spirit, it, it seeps out in our jokes that we make about others. It seeps out there. We have to really be careful with the way we joke. I, I remember being in Brazil. I remember all the Brazilians constantly saying, when I would throw out jokes left and right, they would say, they'd say, Chris, there is 10% of truth in every joke you say. <laughs> it's, it's just it's just true we have to be careful with a harsh spirit 
Our spirit may even be lurking in the prayers that we throw upward for our family or friends. And think of it, our prayers can be tainted with exasperation and irritation. Even our prayers before our family, our friends, or whoever it is, and you know that they're going through this sin, this struggle, whatever it may be, and we have a harsh spirit towards them of judgment, how even our prayers can be tainted with exasperated irritation. I love what Jonathan Edwards says, quote, Christians who are but fellow worms ought at least to treat one another with as much humility and gentleness as Christ treats them, end quote. A harsh spirit. Pride shows its ugly head with superficiality. Superficiality. When pride lives in our hearts, we're far more concerned with others' perceptions of us than the reality of our own hearts, right? We fight the sins that have an impact on how others view us and make peace with the ones that no one sees. We have great success in the areas of holiness that have highly visible accountability, but little concern for the disciplines that ought to be happening in secret before our holy and merciful God. Superficiality, just what's on the surface. And just for one text here, 1 Samuel 16, 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Isn't it interesting? We know that the Lord looks at our heart. We know this. We've been in Psalm 139 lately, right? He searches us. He knows us inward and outward perfectly, but yet how we can get caught in superficiality of just thinking about what others think about what I am doing or how I look. Pride shows itself in superficiality. It also shows itself, number four, with defensiveness. Defensiveness. And men, really, what are the attacks of, of men if we stand in the righteousness of Christ? Right? <laughs> True humility is not knocked off balance and thrown into a defensive posture by a challenge or rebuke, but instead continues in doing good, in trusting the soul to our faithful creator, no matter if the attack is accurate or inaccurate. In fact, you know what we should be doing? We should be welcoming critiques, and we should be believing the best of one another. So men, pride shows itself in a defensive spirit, defensive spirit. Number five, pride shows itself in neglecting others, right? Pride prefers some people over others. It honors those who the world deems worthy of honor, giving more weight to their words, their wants, their needs. There's a thrill that, that goes through us when people with power acknowledge us, right? We consciously or unconsciously pass over the weak, the inconvenient, the unattractive, because they don't seem to offer us much, right? So pride can certainly show itself in the neglect of, of others. And what about number six, desperation of, of attention? 
attention. Pride is hungry for attention, respect, and worship in all its forms. Maybe it sounds like shameless boasting about ourselves. Maybe it's being unable to say no to anyone because we need to be needed, right? (laughs) Maybe it looks like obviously thirsting for or obsessively thirsting for marriage or fantasizing about a better marriage because you're wanting so much to be adored. Maybe it looks like being haunted by your desire for the right car or the right house or the right title at work, all because you seek the glory that comes from men and not from God. So indeed, pride shows its ugly head in the desperation for attention, for attention. So just real briefly, let's turn to Isaiah 66. Isaiah chapter 66, speaking of being desperate for attention. Turn to Isaiah 66. Do we love to impress or serve others? Now, come on, we, we, don't, don't you love it when somebody notices you? <laughs> Pride often means we love to receive vain, fleeting glory and the applause of men, even in the smallest of senses. A pride-filled heart loves to capture people's attention. A pride-filled heart loves to capture people's attention. How's this for capturing someone's attention? And Isaiah 66, verses 1 to 2. Without giving the background or the context, I just want to read this text, and you can see that on your own. Isaiah 66, 1 to 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Did you hear that? Who is the one to whom the Lord God, the Almighty, has his favorable look upon? Did you see that there? Verse 2, he says, But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. The humble are those who willingly take the lowest place before God. The contrite is the one who is aware of the damage wrought by sin and one who is aware of their inability to stand upright before God. It trembles, speaks of a sensitive, concerned longing to please the Lord. This then is what looms large before the Lord's gaze. Our lowliness before him in worship, our self-awareness and our painstaking sensitivity to his word. This is the one in whom his favor is bestowed, the one in whom he delights, the one who is humble and contrite and who trembles at his word. Men, nothing captures the attention of God like humility.
nothing. Is it any wonder that the Lord, that the Father said to the Son, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased? And we'll see that here in just a moment. Nothing captures his attention like humility. To this one, I will look. But to the proud, as we'll see in James, he is stiff-armed. He is stiff-armed. And so just a couple of of, of application points for us to, to take away with here before we discuss together. Number one, declare war on your pride. We must declare war on our pride. And there's good news for the prideful, okay? Confession. Confession of pride indicates that the war is already being waged. For only when the Spirit of God is moving, already humbling us, can we remove then the lens of pride from our eyes and see ourselves clearly identifying the sickness and then seeking the cure. So, for accelerated development of humility, we must declare war on our pride by acknowledging our dependence upon God by acknowledging our dependence upon God, which brings us to the spiritual disciplines again, again. Listen, what are spiritual disciplines? What are the spiritual disciplines? This is what they are. (laughs) They are a declaration of our dependency upon God. That's what the spiritual disciplines are. And when we aren't in this practice, that is a form of pride. Why? Because we are saying essentially, I am self-sufficient. Yep. I'm good on my own. We must be in the word. We must be in prayer. We must be in fellowship. We must. It's a declaration of our dependency upon him. So please, we must declare war on our pride. Number two, contemplate the humility of God. Contemplate Think deeply upon it. Just listen to Philippians 2, 3 to 8. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Okay, we have the command there. And now we have the reason, the motivation in the following verses. Paul says, have that attitude. In yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, and he goes on to exegete his humility. Verse 6 and following. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, who give it back. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Now, what, we, what he just listed was enough to describe humility. Infinitely enough to describe humility. What the eternal son of God did in stooping from heaven to earth. That was enough. But then he says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The most cruel form of execution. 
Men, contemplate the humility of God. You know the hymn, survey, when I survey the wondrous cross upon which the Prince of Glory died? Are we surveying that wondrous cross daily? The next stanza in that hymn says, my richest gain I count but loss. Paul says, rubbish. And then what do I do? I pour contempt on all my, what? My pride. My pride. We must be contemplating the humility of God. Listen, men, it is harder for us to be prideful and arrogant when we stand beside the cross. It's very hard. It's very hard to exalt ourselves when we stand on Calvary's hill and see the exalted one who humbled himself to save a wretch like me. It's very hard. It's very hard for that for pride to really get a grip and for us to say what we say to our wives or our children or whoever it may be when we're standing on Calvary's hill. And in fact, if we could contemplate that enough and that could truly captivate our attention, that pride-filled discussion or, or actions or whatever it may be fizzles. It fizzles and confession begins. Repentance takes its course and restoration begins. So contemplate the humility of God and who he is and what the Son of God did in order to save a wretch like you, like me. Number three, pursue then correction and cleansing. Pursue correction and cleansing. Dear wife, and just so you know, I, I did this the other day with my wife, so my homework is, so assignment is done. Your, yours hasn't happened yet, okay. Dear wife, what pockets of pride do you see in my life? That hurt. <laughs> but I needed that when she said what she said. Don't you dare go up to her on Sunday and ask her. <laughs> don't, please don't do that. <laughs> Dear wife, what pockets of pride do you see in my life? Do that sometime between now and Sunday. Even your children, where do I need to grow in, in serving you, in leading you? Same for, for your wife. Where do I need to grow in this? And I dare you even to, to ask your children, because I also asked my children, and some really interesting things came out that I wasn't aware of before. And the Spirit of God, the Word of God, uses these things in our lives to sharpen us and to make us more like him. James 4, 6 to 10. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what, is the, what does the humble look like? What's the path? What's the road look like? Well, it's the 10 commandments of James 4 here in verses 7 to 10. What's the humble look like? Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Pursue correction and cleansing. Because, dear friends, this morning, you don't want God to humble you. You don't want God to humble you. 
listen to the grace-filled command that he calls us to do, to humble ourselves. What a, what a grace that is, right? Instead of having God humble you, you can humble yourself. It's incredible. Because he is particularly supportive to the humble. We saw that in Isaiah 66. We see that in James. We see that in Proverbs. We see that in 1 Peter 5. He is particularly supportive to the humble. He crushes the proud, Proverbs 16, 18. He crushes them, but lifts up the humble. Isn't that amazing? He exalts the humble. So the humble one is the one who invites and pursues correction and cleansing from the Lord. I just want to end with with uh, Spurgeon's two notes on this issue of pride and his charge, his exhortation here. He says, O believer, learn to reject pride, seeing that you have no ground for it. Whatever you are, whatever you have, you have nothing to make you arrogant. In fact, he says, the more you have, the more you are in debt to God. And you should not be proud of that which renders you a debtor. Consider your origin. Look back to what you once were. Consider what you would have been but for divine grace. Therefore, he says, be not proud. Though you have a large estate, a wide domain of grace, you have not one single thing to call your own except your sin and misery. Oh, strange infatuation that you who have borrowed everything from God should think of exalting yourself, a poor dependent pensioner upon the bounty of thy Savior. Your very life this moment would cease apart from fresh streams of life from Jesus every second of the day, and yet you are proud. Last sentence, he says, O oh, silly heart. Men, let's not be silly. Let's not be silly. Don't toy with the pride that you know that is there in your heart and in your life. And that you're kicking against, confessing it, laying it before the Lord. Because he says you must have a contrite heart. You must confess. You must repent of that. Know his cleansing. Know his grace that is greater than all of your sin of pride lifting your heart up against him, lifting your heart up against others. Spurgeon says, oh, silly heart. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to be mortifying our, our greatest enemy, pride, and, and cultivating our, our greatest friend, humility, by fixing our gaze upon you. May we, may we boast, Lord, in nothing else except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and by your grace, Lord, help us to identify our pride in all its hiding places inside of us. R reveal to us our self-righteousness so that we would be clinging more fiercely to the righteousness of Christ. And Lord, help us now to encourage and sharpen one another by, by truth in our discussions that, that we'd be more conformed to the likeness of your Son this very day all to the glory of your name. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.